0: Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Well, I'm not sure if you caught the headlines last month, but Victoria's Secret featured a plus size model in an ad campaign for the very first time, and the campaign highlighted a partnership with Blue Bella, a London-based lingerie retailer. And there was global media attention around Ally Tate Cutler, the size 14 model who was featured. I had the privilege of being on Allie's podcast called The Love You Give with Allie Tate, and we talked about my life's journey as well as self-soothing behaviors, overcoming lies we tell ourselves, and gratitude. That's all on episode 39 of her podcast, and I'll link it in the show notes. I think you'll love our conversation. Well, after she interviewed me, how could I not interview her on Inspiration Rising? I had so many questions about how she got started in modeling, what it was like to be chosen by Victoria's Secret, and her response to backlash she faced four years ago. Allie is very passionate about taking care of the environment, eradicating shame, and eliminating cancel culture. You are going to love Allie and this interview. I will warn you, there's a bit of static whenever I speak during this conversation. haven't had this happen before, but I don't think it will interfere with your listening at all. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Allie Tate Cutler. Well, Allie, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yes, I'm so excited to be here. I spoke to you last week and I had such a good time. Well, I want to know a little bit about your
0: modeling career. When did you begin modeling and how did you get started?
1: I grew up in California in the Bay Area and I played soccer for like 20 years. I played for a um, a class one team and I went and played at UCSB as a goalkeeper. And then from there I decided, you know, I want to take a year off and, and kind of go explore. So I went to uh, King's College in London and I started playing soccer over there and, uh, you know, exploring and doing what students do overseas. And it was at that time that I was, I remember I was in a hair salon and I was getting my haircut, and I was like flipping through these magazines. And I saw in this magazine called Look Magazine, it said, Um, competition for UK's next top curvy supermodel. All applicants must be size 12 or above. And I was like, Hey, like I'm a 12 and I have no idea what this entails, but I'm kind of interested and I'm tall and maybe I could do this. So I applied and they selected my picture. I think it was like 30,000 girls who applied. And um, I showed up to the London casting with one of my friends and I had no idea what to expect. And I saw all these girls in the, in the lobby and I was like, no, no, that's the, I'm, I need to get out of here. I'm never going to win this. Right. Right. And she she just basically was like, no, we're staying. We got up at 6am. I dressed you. This is it. We're (laughs) staying. (laughs) And so I uh, stayed and then I subsequently made it through each round of the day. There were like three rounds and then whoever was selected was one of the eight girls that would like, be a part of the show and would have a photo shoot and judges would vote on it. And you would, the final three would go to a talk show, which I made. Um, and I remember that was my first time really kind of really, really wanting something. Cause it was so different from anything that I'd ever done previously. And I think my family, my friends, all of us were like, really? Like you're doing a modeling competition. And I just kind of wanted to prove everybody wrong. So um, I ended up making it to the top three and I got a contract with um, a modeling agency out there and it totally changed the course of my life.
0: That is incredible. I mean, you had no experience before at all.
1: No, none at all. I was very, very tomboyish, very athletic, had no idea what to do with my hands, my body language, didn't know how to be feminine. So it was really a quick, sharp learning curve for me.
0: Did you like with your friend practice before you went in? Like, okay, pose this way or pose that way. Or how did you even get get prepared?
1: (laughs) I know. You know, I really, I really didn't. I just kind of went in blindly and I was like, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, you know, it's just a funny experience. Like, I could just tell everyone that I did this crazy thing and laugh about it. But then as it got, as I progressed more, it kind of got more serious. And I was like, oh, hold on. I could actually do this because. I'm making it through these rounds and I, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm not great, but I'm not horrible. And so maybe this could become something.
0: And so that was, that was like nine years ago, 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. I think that was in 2010. So that would have been nine years ago.
0: Okay. My goodness. And so since then, have you worked as a model full time for the last nine to 10 years? Is that correct?
1: Yes. So I was modeling um, right after I got out of the competition. I decided to take a gap year from school. My parents were not happy about that. They did not see modeling as a viable career choice, but I I had just met a boy in London and I really didn't want to go. And this was so weird and different and exciting. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take a gap year and try this out. And the first two years, I really did not work at all. I was totally dejected. I really didn't like any of the photos I saw myself in. I was like, how did I think I could do this? Mm. I got no jobs and I had to work um, at a pub at night for cash in hand. And then in the day I would bike around soups and sandwiches to 26 different offices and sell them uh, for like, you know, nothing, a, pit, a pittance really. And that was what the money I had to keep me going while I just was not working as a model.
0: Mm. And then what was the what was the breaking point? Like what was the 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 moment where you all right, I I'm feeling like I got this. I've got my first gig. Like what was that?
1: I think it was for um it was for Look magazine. So it was the one who ran the competition and they had booked me like 6 months later just as a model, like not as a former contestant or anything. Mm-hmm. And they had me do an editorial and I remember thinking on the day like I have to perform well. I need to do this because you know, this, these people like hired me, got me through this contest and I need to like beat, show up and prove that I can do this. And there was like 12 people on set. I was so intimidated. But when I got up there, I just kind of went for it. And I remember it clicking on set, like, Oh, that's how you move. Oh, I think my face looks better from this angle. Oh, I think my body looks better if I do it this way. Oh, and if I keep moving, I get okay. And it kind of clicked. And from that day on, I was like, "All right, I get it." And now I just need to replicate that. And it and it took a while before I felt truly comfortable. And then when I did, it was like I was like a robot. I was like, boom, 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 boom. Every pose, you know, giving them everything. And it, I treated it like I treated soccer, like practice, and you know, make every job better than the next, uh, get feedback where I could and improve on that. And I just treated it like a sport.
0: And now you've been modeling for some of the world's biggest brands. And, uh, as of last month, October, 2019, um, obviously there was a big launch of you being the first, uh, Victoria's secret plus size model, which is just, you know, a huge deal. Um, when you were growing up, did you ever envision yourself being cast as a model for Victoria's Secret?
1: Absolutely not. I I remember as I was growing up, you know, I struggled massively with body image. I was... Mm. Playing soccer five days a week, but I'd still go home and run after practice. And I would, um, you know, restrict my eating. And every day I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I just hated my body. And I didn't even like going into stores like Victoria's Secret or Abercrombie and Fitch or, you know, all my peers were going to shop there. And I remember just feeling like I wasn't worthy to shop there because of my body size. Even though I was like, it's ridiculous, like neck, like I was in really good. Peak physical fitness, Mm -hmm. my body's just always been bigger. And like I'm just muscly and I have bigger bones and I'm taller. And I just absolutely hated my body. So when I got this Victoria's Secret thing, it was kind of like, wow, like the 14 year old girl who had been walking through those stores, absolutely hating herself, wishing that she was in a different body. It kind of felt like validation. Like, wow, you know, that was, that was so misplaced. That energy that I had been directing towards hating my body had been really misplaced and, and really came from a deep body dysmorphia that um, our, our society kind of perpetuates by telling us again and again and again that this is the way a female should look.
0: Take me through the process. How were you cast? You know, did you go in for a casting session? Did they see your photos? Like, take me through that process.
1: So like when when you get casted for a job, there it's like two different ways. You either go in and you meet the client and you're like, here's my book. I'm going to sell myself. I need to like tell you what I'm doing and tell you why you should book me without being cocky or overconfident or whatever you have to find this like Mm -hmm. really weird in-between line and then the second option is uh direct booking so they just see your photos online and they go okay you know she she's what we want so we're going to directly book her for this job with blue bella i was directly booked by them and um honestly when i when i went to the shoot i had no idea it was going to be for victoria's secret like i don't know if i just didn't read it on the call sheet like i don't know why i didn't see that But when I got uh, the week before the press day, and they're like, "Hey, Victoria's Secret wants you at the press day," I was like, "Does VS stand for Victoria's Secret?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Wait, am I do? Did I do a job for Victoria's Secret?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Wait, what? Like, this is insane! Like, I had no, you know, I had no expectation and 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 no idea really that this was going to be for them and that I was going to be on the walls of Victoria's Secret. So it was really kind of mind blowing for me."
0: Yeah. And so, uh, blue Bella, it, that's a brand in, uh, England or, you know, help me understand the collaborate. Was it a collaboration between them? and Victoria Yeah. Secret?
1: Yes. Yeah. So it was a lingerie brand that's based out of London and Victoria's Secret has been doing a few collaborations with different brands. And this is the first time they've used like plus models with the collaborations. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it really, it, it really picked up a lot of steam. It got a lot of press, and it was quite overwhelming for me to be honest i mean i really did not expect that and i i don't handle like that amount of incoming attention very well because i'm like oh my god like so many people are looking at me right now um what are they going to think and they're going to come to these like you know this these like beliefs of who i am and I can't I can't control that and I can't affect that and that and that scared me like they don't know me personally and they're just coming to an opinion based on my online presence.
0: Mhm. Massive massive press around this. I mean I saw you were interviewed by Pierce Morgan which was a, a pretty awkward interview with him calling you hot <laughs> like that was so awkward. I loved your face <laughs> you're like uh I don't know what to think right now if you're calling me hot. This is so weird. Um It was so weird. Yeah. What were what were some of the exciting moments during this launch? What were some of the awkward moments? Like you know, reminisce a bit about last month.
1: Mm, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind. It was like I was on five different TV shows, giving interviews, and um, you know, like so many people reached out for a comment, and I just had so many people who were like writing me opinions of what they thought of me and what they thought of my body, like totally unsolicited. And I was just kind of, you know, taken aback and I needed to take a breather off Instagram. I I gave my dad my Instagram credentials to like deal with everything for me. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to look at it and I didn't want to be swept up in this like press, you know, firestorm. And, um, it was, it was difficult for me as well because at the same time, like, as all, all this good press came in, there was bad press too. And there were people who came in and were like, you know, this girl either isn't really plus size. This is like, you know, Victoria's secret too little, too late. Um, there would have been so many other models who would have been a better selection for this. And then of course there was this thing that came up from comments that I'd made four years ago um, on my Facebook. And it there were comments that were like, you know, I didn't think anyone was looking at me and I was going off 48 hours of no sleep from a job. I was like in Cuba and I just wasn't thinking straight. And I said something about obesity being bad for the environment and it, it got screenshotted. It went viral. Like all these people were saying, you know, she's a fat shamer and she's a plus size model. Like how dare she? And it it really, you know, was horrible and traumatic for me because it was like, wow, like first of all, I realized the power of words and why it's so important to speak, like take care of our words and speak from a place of love and compassion before we do it. Because especially now in this like social media age and the internet age, those words will be there forever. And Mm -hmm. people are always going to align you with what you thought in the past, no matter if you, you know, if you fumbled your words and put your foot in your mouth, like that's going to be you. Mm-hmm. And so I had people reaching out to me and being like, you know, you suck and you're a fat shamer and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, this is horrible because if they'd met me, they would come to such different conclusions. They would mm-hmm. find that's not me at all. I mm-hmm. I have love for everybody. And, you know, really the, the words I said were, uh, they weren't well thought out and there was, you know, it was a s- mistaken and flawed statement, but Really, over the past four years since I wrote that it it helped me evolve so much because i I first of all was dealing with the shame of having people you know shame me online and that's an, a painful experience in in and of itself I mean, if you look at anyone who's been publicly shamed and now that number is in you know. 10,000, 20,000, probably mm-hmm. more. Um,
0: Let me jump in. Let me jump in here real quick. Cause I want to get to that experience four years ago, but I want to ask you, um, you talked about people commenting about your body. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you didn't ask for that, but yet at the same time, it is interesting because modeling centers around, not just the clothes that you're wearing, but the body that is wearing those clothes. Um, so I would assume that you've had to deal with that for nine, you know, 10 years. Like it just seems like it, right, wrong, good or bad. It comes with modeling that people are going to comment yes. on you. Um, and I was watching this YouTube video with this guy who was commenting about your recent photos and, you know, uh, just objectifying you. You know what I mean? So much of that mm. is just objectification. Um, how do you watch those? Do you read those comments? Like, do you, um, how do you deal with that?
1: I do not watch those. I do not read those. I really, I'm at a point where, you know, other people's opinions of me really aren't relevant to my life. They, I'm, I'm over here, you know, I'm doing my thing. I'm trying to be a a good person. I'm trying to make positive ripples in the world. And I really have to had learned to learn how to separate. And, and look at, you know, people's opinions and comments of my body and the way I look and go, you know what, that's not me. That's, that's, first of all, that's their conditioning. So that's the way that they're looking at beauty. That's the way that they look at bodies. It has nothing to do with me. That's their experience. And second of all, who cares if someone thinks, you know, I'm ugly or who cares if someone thinks I'm not plus enough or two plus or whatever it is, because really, I am not my body. I am so much more than that. And, you know, that's what I feel my mission here on earth is to do, which is to, to help people realize that we are so much more than our bodies. And yes, body image is important um, to get to get that sorted out, to feel a sense of, of love about yourself at any size, because... We need to transcend the body. We need to move to the, the higher plane of existence, which is that you are, you know, this eternal soul on this earth coming here with a mission, and, and your character and your values and your mission are so much more important than what you look like. Mm-hmm. So I have that kind of basic understanding. So I really don't take offense when, when people. Comment on my body. I mean, I think it's kind of weird. It's like a weird. It's like we have too much time on our hands. Like how that we we would need to like, you know, look at models or or celebrities and go, they look like this and their haircut's stupid or like her butt's gotten too big or I don't know whatever it is. It's just a little bit too much time on our hands. But um, you know, I I really don't take that stuff personally anymore.
0: Sure, sure. Well, the video was uh, definitely not negative. He was very positive on your body. Uh, but it was, it was fascinating to, uh, see him interact with the photos. Um, and, uh, just knowing that that's something that you have to deal with. Um, like you said, we are so much more than the one aspect that people see, right? People see you in one moment in time that's captured in a photo that's, you know, accentuated in certain ways to make the photo look even better. Um, and in reality, there are so many facets to each one of us. Um, and you referenced this experience that you had four years ago, um, and that that was obviously brought up, kind of created a a headline, not in major news, but definitely in you know some websites four years ago. And I even saw it brought back around this past month, referenced mm-hmm. um, again, as you said. Um, take us to that moment. What? what were you, uh, what did you say? What were you responding to? Um, help us understand that moment.
1: I was responding to an article on Facebook. I didn't even know who the author was um, or I, I just saw it and I, it kind of just triggered me a little bit. And it was about how um, when people comment on obese bodies there and they say they're caring about their health, they're really just fat shaming. And I disagreed with it at the time. Cause I was like, hold on. Like, You know, we need to talk about obesity in honesty, which is that like it is a it's a health condition, and that it has negative implications. And I guess I always saw the world as um, interconnected, like the health of one person is connected to the health of the world. Like as healthy as we can be individually, the world is going to get healthier. the 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 issue with what I said in my statement, which is I said, um, you know. uh, obesity is not good for the environment because of overconsumption, was flawed because I wasn't seeing the nuance of the subject, which is y- you, you can't blame an individual for in the environmental crises. We need to look at the broader institutions and um, you know the society which has enabled uh, bad food to be cheap and um, uh, it enables, you know, capitalism enables overconsumption and everyone does it. Skinny people, medium sized people, bigger bodies, we all do it. And, and it, I, you know, in my mind, it, it, it's just sometimes maybe it's more, um, uh, overt in with some people, but that doesn't make the fact that everyone over consumes that is, is the truth. And so at the time, really, when I look back at it and the understanding I have about it now is I was really speaking from a place of my own unhealed body shame. And, you know, a lot of the time when we say, when we say hurtful things or um, when we're triggered, it's because it's coming from a place within ourselves that is not healed. And um, something about, uh, you know, like a comment that's made or a discussion that's happening triggers us. And it kind of ignites that, that inner shame and inner dialogue that we're having with ourselves. And I had been struggling with body image problems my whole life. And um, I clearly was not healed from that. And I remember as a kid, um, you know, I, I used to like see myself as just really overweight. Like I had no discipline. I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, good at, um, I just couldn't be as good as the skinny girls because I just couldn't restrain myself from eating. And I was a glutton. And like, I would even go as far as to thinking like, you know, I was just this like slob and all these horrible things that in mainstream media is associated with being bigger. And I bought that. I bought that lie. And I, and I was believing in it for a long, long time. And so those comments were obviously coming from a person who had not, um, found the truth in herself yet and, um, was echoing the inner pain and the inner shame that she was feeling out into the world. And, you know, there's the expression, which is hurt people, hurt people. And that's so true. Like we, when we don't do the work to heal, Our inner trauma, we bleed it onto other people because it's almost too much to bear and too much to deal with. And I definitely think that those comments were me bleeding, you know, me bleeding uh, my pain out into other people. And it took me years to reconcile that and understand that that's where it was coming from. And the part that hurts me now is that it, you know, it still comes up four years later, but these people haven't seen the inner work that I've done. They haven't, they don't know that. They don't know me and they don't know at the time that that was coming from a hurting girl. And they just, you know, immediately think this person's evil or stupid or whatever it is that they think about me, the conclusions that they draw. Mm -hmm. But really like a lot of people's pain when they say things that are hurtful or like, you know, uh, homophobic or racist or all these things a lot of it is coming from unhealed places within themselves. Mm -hmm. And the only way that we can address that is not through shame Mm -hmm. because shame absolutely 100% does not work. It actually exacerbates the problem and it makes Mm -hmm. it worse. Um, It it comes from compassion and empathy and to understand that these people are hurting and that we've been there too. And we've been hurting and we've said things we regret out of anger or fear Mm -hmm um, or sadness and to really be there for those people and, and, um, and understand that they're speaking from this place of pain and help them on their healing process. Um, and that's why I take a huge issue with cancel culture at large, because, you know, we're pulling up these comments from people, something people have said 10 years ago, five years ago. I mean, I know much, how much I change in a year. I changed so much every year, like what I thought the year before is not what I think the next year, and right, I think right. that 's part of the human journey is is the evolution, that dynamic changing of uh, base core thoughts and values and evolving towards this uh, new level of understanding, and so we 're judging these people who were canceling based on usually comments that they've said in the past when they 've they've already transformed and elevated beyond that. Now that's not the case for everybody, but I do know a lot of people who um, have been quote unquote canceled by on social media have come a long way in their understandings. And it kind of just sucks when these things are brought up from the past because it's just not where they're at now. And they're being held accountable for it now.
0: Mm -hmm. I Uh, Shared with you in preparation for our time together, a quote from Barack Obama, and you might have seen this um, online, but last month at an Obama Foundation event, he said, there is this sense that the the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people, and that's enough. He said, that's not activism. That's not bringing about change. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. Then I simultaneously what was interesting is I read a New York Times editorial that said well Obama's just basically old rich and powerful and he doesn't get the so-called call out culture like he doesn't get it he doesn't you know get that mm. need to stand up for what's wrong like what are your what are your thoughts on Obama's statement
1: I mean I completely agree with him I think that I've read a lot of articles you know justifying why cancel culture is a valuable and worthwhile thing And while I can understand that sentiment, I think it's misguided, because when people are standing up to try to make change, change makers throughout history have encountered so much backlash and so much criticism, and and it's a you know I think it might be kind of an innate part of human nature to want to throw stones at people, you know, when we disagree with them or what they're saying is disrupting our worldview. We get we get our hackles up. But when we throw stones, we're not being part of the solution. We're, we're taking down other people in this vicious shame cycle. And shame is one of the leading causes of the mental health illness in the world. Shame is underneath anxiety, depression, addiction, suicide. I mean, if you look in prison systems they found that a lot of the criminals that are are there, a lot of the inmates ha- are suffering from really deep shame. And that has uh, like led them to do the things that they have done. And shame is really debilitating. It's a really debilitating emotion. I mean, there's a the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is when you associate yourself with the negative action that you've done. And you said, I'm not separate from that action. I am that action, which makes me have no value. Mm-hmm. Guilt is when we can look at the action separate from ourselves and feel remorseful that we did it and then go to make um, amends to correct it. So they're different things, and guilt works, but guilt comes from the individual and that comes from discourse um, on the subject. So let's say someone said something that was considered racist. The, the, that person is not going to learn if someone's like, Die, you racist, blank. You know, F you, all these things, no one is going to learn. That's that's really just enabling uh, shame, which is not going to help that individual out of any negative cycles that they're in. It's really going to actually increase the amount of uh, mental health issues and um, it's going to make it hard for them to talk about their trauma. And the only way that shame cannot exist is if we talk about our shame. So if we bring it to the light, it cannot survive, and if it bring it to the light and it experiences compassion and empathy, it's done. It can't survive.
0: How would you suggest then people's you know speak up or stand up for what they believe in, um, you know, and and not so-called cancel or boycott someone? Like it just seems like a, such a difficult thing to do. You know, not to attack them, but like how do you how do you speak up and not be
1: in that place of judgment? Mm. Well, there's, there's ways to speak up. And if you disagree with someone, check yourself first. Take a breath. Make sure you're not speaking out of a place of reaction. Make sure you're speaking out of a place of the highest good, out of love, out of light. And center yourself and go, you know what, I really disagree with this and here are my reasons why. Treat it like a classroom environment because really life is a classroom where we all came here to learn. We we weren't all born being woke. That doesn't happen. That happens after a life of learning and failure and mistakes. So when someone says something that we disagree with or we think is harmful, it's important to, to, to treat that person with compassion and respect while also standing up for what you believe in cancel culture um has and and social media which has enabled this has led people to be um unaccountable for what they're saying because they're just typing behind a board anonymously they don't have to go up to that person and see them i guarantee you if we weren't typing from you know anonymous uh computers and if we had to actually go up to that person and say you know, I don't agree with what you said, I guarantee you, your your words would be nicer and kinder mm-hmm, because you wouldn't right. be looking into a, a human's eyes and you would go, oh, human. Oh, I'm human. Oh, I used to believe kind of stupid things or I said messed up things in the past or, mm-hmm. you know, this is another person on this journey who uh, is on a journey like mine, which is up and down and left and right. And it's my job to be there for them and have compassion for them. I guarantee people would not be saying the things that they say online to a human body. It would just not happen. Um, And we need to be holding ourselves more accountable for our online uh, presence so that when we do find people who say things that we don't agree with, we come from a place of uh, higher learning as opposed to to self-righteousness or judgment Or um, you know, just hate and bleeding the the, you know your own feelings and your own traumas onto this person who's an easy target. That's not the right way to go about it.
0: So I have a friend, very close friend. Her name is Stacy, and she's been on the podcast. She's a author and speaker, and all and so forth. And she is um quite progressive in her thoughts about life, spirituality, um, religion and politics and so forth. And she would be more left-leaning. And she has friends across the board. And um, But oftentimes her left-leaning friends, and I'll see this on social media, will um, rail against Trump, which is an easy person to rail against, especially if you live in Southern California or New York, like you and mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, what's interesting is when she sees them doing this, she doesn't do it all the time, but she has pointed out uh, that not everything about Trump is vile. Like mm. she, and I know that some of our listeners are probably Trump supporters, so don't hear me um, uh, saying anything right, wrong, good, or bad about Trump. Just the, the fact that some people think he is totally vile, one hundred percent. The guy is from Satan. Some people think that, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is um, that she will come to the to the table and say. I hear what you're saying about what his behavior is or his, you know, um, words, but, um, not everything is vile about him. He's a human being, Mm. right. And he is in process like all of us. And, uh, and man, Allie, she is not popular when she does that. (laughs) I can imagine. Right. Because it's, it's, it's doing what you're saying, you know, it's going, okay, Yes, I see this behavior that I don't agree with or these words, but at the same time this person is a human being who is in process and um, and and I think how do we how do we uh, keep that level of empathy or compassion for anyone who we disagree with, even if we think what they're doing their behavior is vile that they're like and that the the question is is every person have um, I would call it a divine imprint. That there is something divine in them, no matter how much we disagree with them about something, uh, and I believe there there is.
1: I 100% agree, and I would agree with her. And I can imagine that her opinions are hugely unpopular. Um, and I would never say them, you know, on social media because I, I know that the backlash would be so swift and so yep. real, not and, good and for you, you wouldn't even have a time. <laughs> no, not good for me, and you, you wouldn't even have a a, a space to really clarify yourself and and explain what you meant because people would be so reactionary and so like no no you know you're done you're wrong never listening to you again and I mean, I, the way I see Trump, my, you know, I'm, I'm left-leaning. Uh, my parents are Republican and I get to see and have these amazing discussions with them. And <laughs> at first I was really like, why? Like, why do you support this guy? But then yeah. after having a lot of discussion with them, I really saw the other side and that the other side has a reason and a, and a, a, a valuable reason for coming to the beliefs that they've come to sure. and what we're really missing in this country today. And this is being made more real by the divisiveness on social media by what we're talking about is that we're not able to have these cross party line debates because people are shutting them down so quickly and being like you're republican you're racist or right. you're you know you're elitist or whatever it is and that you're you're a liberal so you are uh, living in fairy land you are a snowflake you know it's it's shutting down these conversations and the, the real the real thing is that trump is a human you know, despite some people who are conspiracy theorists and think he might be a reptilian <laughs> or I don't know a, a demon or something, sure. but he is a human. And what I what I see is a man who has had a really difficult past with his with his parents, uh, a, a man who's found himself through through egoic ways and through materialism, and I see a man in pain, and that that doesn't that doesn't mean that I don't think I don't disagree with some of the things he does. Cause I do, but I also don't think that I'm going to cancel this human being because they're doing things that I don't agree with. Sure. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very nuanced conversation. And really the, the, the whole point of this is to really to show that a lot of the, the decisions that are being made in the world are coming from unhealed trauma, mm-hmm. ancestral trauma, um, Deep pain uh, that is coming to the surface after you know hundreds of years of being unprocessed, and we're going through a really intense time of um, uh, awakening right now, and it's all coming to the surface, and we're dealing with it. And it seems overwhelming, and like how how can we even move through this? Like people just aren't agreeing, and and you know when someone like Trump got elected, it was like more than ever this divisiveness mm-hmm. was made clear. But we really need to understand that we're all in pain and we're all, you know, on this human journey, uh, together and we are connected and the, and the health of one individual is the health of the world. It's like the, what is that quote? It's like the weakest link is, um, is the, the strength of the whole team, right? Like Mm -hmm. you are as strong as the weakest link. Mm -hmm. And I, I really do believe that because the whole world is, is connected whether we like it or not. And when we have, a huge amount of of humans suffering and um going through pain and and working out their own shame cycles and their own traumas, we need to be there for them mm. i i I'm, I don't necessarily think that you know someone that in that amount of pain should be in power, but mm. I do think that he is a human, and that we need to um, check the language that we use around humans because we are holding them to standards that are superhuman. We are Mm -hmm. holding them to superhuman um, account and that is just not realistic and that is not kind and that is not loving and that's not going to create the world. That's not going to create a new paradigm. That's going to create, that's going to create more of the same. And we're going to be in more of the same, um, you know, uh, exploitation of power and um, uh, like, you know, pain going on at the federal level um, and corruption within the system. The new paradigm requires that we show up for each human being mm-hmm. and we see them on the journey that they've come on and that we are there for them and understand and are compassionate and empathetic to them. Mm-hmm. That is going to create the new paradigm.
0: I'm in, an, I'm in a unique situation in my own life because um, for 10 years, I was a pastor in a more of a evangelical which is more of a conservative tends to be more right leaning you know republican tends to be and uh, in the last 10 years i've really expanded um my social circles and people that i connect with and my own beliefs and so i have friends that are very pro-trump very and then i have people that are very anti-trump i have friends that are um Pro-life, others that are pro-choice. I have other friends that are believe that those who identify as LGBTQIA are, you know, in sin, and I have lots of friends who would identify as LGBTQIA. You know, see, I'm in this interesting position where I mm-hmm. I kind of have my foot in all both of these worlds, and for me, what it creates is a great sense of compassion. Because as you said, when you talk to your parents, you're like, oh, interesting. Now I see how you have this perspective, or I Understand how you came to this conclusion. And so I have a great deal of empathy and compassion for people across the board. And that actually puts me in a little bit of an awkward situation. And I don't talk about those things a lot. I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about these issues much because um, uh, those who maybe are something, can't believe that I could even be friends with somebody who's against something, you know, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for me, I go, you know what, we're all on a journey. We're all in process. Um, and ultimately the way that I have had change in my mind about issues and about people is by getting to know people.
1: It's like, mm-hmm.
0: you know, like you said, you're like, Oh, I sat down and I chatted with my, you know, I got to know my parents sounds weird to say that, but you know what I mean? You've got to know their perspective <laughs> <clears throat> um, in the same way that the only way, generally the only way someone who is racist or homophobic uh, overcomes that, that situation is by getting to right. know someone who is different right. than them and seeing that they are human and that they are, right. uh, that they have similarities and that's what i love i love seeing people across the board and um having compassion for them and and i will say i will admit to you and i love this about uh inspiration rising in the podcast is i get to interview people who have lives that are so different than me and i get to know them and i you know just fall in love with them like in a you know in a fun way like oh man i just this person's awesome and so like for you like i don't hang around with a lot of models believe it or not you know I, I don't, don't hang out with a lot of models all the time, um, although my wife and daughter are both model worthy. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, <laughs> and I would say if I saw a picture of you walking by Victoria's Secret, I would not say to myself, wow, she is so bright. Wow, she is so well-spoken. She is so articulate. Mm-hmm. She is. I just wouldn't say that. You know, I would, I would go, oh, she's beautiful right? She's, she's gorgeous. Um, and yet talking to you for on your podcast, this by holy moly, you are bright. You are so articulate and so passionate. And, um, what that does for me is it goes, Oh, when I look at other models, it will expand my mind. Not that I'm, I don't look at models and go, wow, they're dumb. Like I don't don't have that inside Mm. me, but I don't have a Mm -hmm. mind that goes, Oh, I wonder what she's interested in. I wonder what she's passionate about. I wonder if she's just as passionate about the environment as Ali is. Oh, I wonder if she's passionate about body image like Ali is. Because you, yeah. right? I've gotten to know you, and it expands my mind. It expands my level of empathy and compassion for the world. So mm-hmm. um, that's fun,
1: you know. Oh, thank you. That's very kind, and and I completely agree. I think that the the antithesis to being divisive and 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 You know, feeling like other people's viewpoints are anathema to our own life. I think that the opposite of that is getting to know them. I mean, you can see that on like Oprah when she interviewed a lot of people who were part of this like KKK or white nationalist group. She had them on. She is such a badass. She had them on and and talked with them kindly and patiently and compassionately. And most of those guys went on later to totally change their views and come on and apologize on her show and say, I'm ashamed about, you know, the, the things I used to think. And she, she created that and facilitated that conversation And it led to a consensus and and it led to peace. And when we shut out the opposition voices, we're just creating a bubble that we live in that it's an echo chamber. We Mm -hmm. just hear our own thoughts being echoed back to us again and again. We're right. We're right. We're right. Everyone else is wrong. We're right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a problem because we don't get to see the different perspectives and how people might have arrived at them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way I look at it now, and it's taken me years to, fully comprehend this the way I look at it now is people have you know completely different viewpoints um on the environment or on you know political issues or social issues than me they had their own experiences which led them to that opinion yes and I can't wade in and be like your experiences are wrong like I that's not that's not true and that and that's not honoring their journey and so whether or not I agree with them I, you know, maybe I want to come in and go, oh, well, you know, it's really help- it's really important for us to care about the environment because it's our home and we need to take care of our home and we need to keep it clean. And, and I can try to change their opinions and influence them. Mm-hmm. But if it's done with hate in our heart, right. you're not going to get very far. right You won't. You won't get your desired outcome. So really, it's it's about the desired outcome. And I think we all, humans at the core of us, are we want peace. We want love. We want what's best for our neighbor. What, what gets clouded is the traumas and, and, the, and the experiences along the way, which have made that difficult to see and which we need to unpack and process. Mm-hmm. But really, we want the same thing. And so if we want the same outcome, we need to go about the best way to do that. And the best way to do that is compassion, kindness, empathy, understanding, connection. Those are the ways that we can help other beings evolve and understand and come to a new, um, you know, a new... Uh, Opinion, Mm -hmm. and so it's it's so important to expose ourselves to people who think the opposite of what we think, and not get reactionary, not get triggered. Take a moment. uh, Someone you know comes in that's super pro Trump, and you're not. Breathe. Okay, this is a human. (laughs) They they have their reasons. Listen to them.
0: Okay, now we can
1: enter into a, a debate about this.
0: I think the the words that come to my mind are seeking to understand. Like if I'm coming from a place of seeking to understand that person's journey, which I love you brought that up, our home of origin, our parents, like where we grew up, that plays such a huge role in our views of the world. Uh, The um, the negative experiences that we've had with people, um, if like, you know, I had dated a ton of models, you know, and they all broke up with me, I'd have a negative view of you, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Say like, if you have, if you've had some sort of, um, experience with someone and it was negative, that's really going to color your experience. So, um, right. you, we don't know what that other person has had in their life, uh, and seeking to understand that is, is huge. So good. Okay. So Definitely. Um, but one last question for you, let's just say you're hundred years old. Okay. And you've just wrapped up your modeling career. You're like, okay, I'm just going to model till I'm 100, and then I'm done. Um, what do you want to be known for in your life when you look back? Mm. Like when you look back Legacy. over your entire yeah, your whole life, your career. Who knows if you'll keep modeling till you're 100? You know, it's like that's a long
1: life. You know, you unlikely, but I like where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I, I, think, I think about this a lot. I think about um, my dharma, my mission, what I came down here to do. And I think everyone has the unique one. Um, and I think that, you know, when people used to ask me when I was a little girl, they would say, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like they ask all little kids. And the, the only thing I said, and the only thing that came to mind was always like, I want to be a nature girl. I said, I want, to, I want to be a nature girl. And I, I didn't know what that meant. But in my head, I had this vision of me, like young Tarzan, like a female Tarzan yeah, yeah. living in the trees and like protecting all the animals and, and like safeguarding the forest. Like I just pictured like Ferngully. That's really? what I pictured. For, from an early age, you sense that. Yeah. And that's yeah, from just four years passion, old.
0: passion for you.
1: Yeah. I, I have a, a love for the Earth, and I think that's intermixed um, with a deeper a deeper mission of we can only have love for the Earth when we have love and understanding for ourselves and each other because if your internal world is matching your external world, if you're all mixed up inside and you're and you know you're you're struggling with all these different uh, emotions and uh, mental health issues or trauma or whatever it is then and we don't resolve it and we're living our life through that lens always we cannot our external world cannot be healthy it it starts from within us so this body image journey that i've been on is really just a smaller part of the conversation of we need to focus on loving ourselves no matter what no matter what mistakes we've made and you will everyone listening to this you're going to go on to make Hundreds, if not thousands, more of mistakes. And you probably already made a few mess ups. Thank and you, it's, it's, so it's yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the truth. We're, we are here to fail and make mistakes. And it's how we love ourselves, in spite of that, or despite of that, that makes the difference on this journey. So if we can love ourselves, then we can love the earth and everything else around us more. So really, it starts from the internal journey, but. You know, I, I feel that's the that's the legacy that I would want to leave behind, and and that can take many forms. So you can find self love through a myriad of ways, whether that's through spirituality and you know wellness um, or uh, helping others. Which actually, sometimes when we help others, we find that that's helping ourselves. So sometimes it can start from outside and then go in, and sometimes it starts from in to then go out. But it's this. It's this lesson and this uh, mission of realizing that we are all these amazing, bright, eternal souls that have come here, all living out these lessons that we've needed to come learn and needed to, to face and to really love that, love that and love that soul unconditionally and I think that when we do that, the the world's going to start changing around us. That we'll, we'll start like immediately if we can affect and and help ourselves. Then you'll you'll start seeing your relationships change around you. You'll start seeing um you know your relationship with animals and nature change because you're going to see it as all connected and you're going to see it as uh a part of of the journey that you're on. How it's all deeply interwoven.
0: Allie, you're amazing. I think you're awesome. I'm a, I'm a big uh, fan now. And I want to, I want to make sure the two pe- places that I want to make sure people check out, one is your Instagram, people to follow you, which, and we'll have this in the show notes, obviously. Um, if you're you know on your phone, you can swipe up and get it, but it's Allie underscore Tate underscore Cutler, C-U-T-L-E-R. Yes. And Allie, you have an incredible podcast. It's called The Love You Give with Allie Tate. And who do you interview on this podcast? Tell us tell us a little bit about it. sell it to us. How sh- why should?
1: We- oh, well, yeah, you know it's a podcast that is um, designed to push the levels of comfort in ourselves, to push outside our comfort zone. So I interview anyone from people dealing with you know shame specialists, um, meditation specialists, people with amazing journeys, how they've overcome hardship. I mean I even interviewed, Um, a guy who was the head of the MI5 UFO Research Department. So we get into fringe topics like UFOs. Um, I can go into conspiracy. But really, the whole point of this is the guests that I have on with their journeys, with, with the um, lessons that they're teaching really are designed to push ourselves into new understandings and new levels of perception by making ourselves a little bit uncomfortable. And that's really where we do the most growth is outside of our comfort zone and, and seeing all these different experiences and how they might be relatable to ourselves.
0: All right. It's called The Love You Give, and it is on all the podcasts. Uh, platforms, I'm sure. And we'll be sure to link to it. So Allie, thank you so much for taking time to hang. Uh, I think you're amazing. And I just love Uh, your heart for the world.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And I feel the same. I when I interviewed you on my podcast, I was like, what a great guy. How awesome that conversation. I just felt so uplifted for the rest of the day.
0: Well, as you heard, Allie is absolutely amazing. And I want to encourage you to follow her on Instagram and subscribe to her podcast, The Love You Give with Allie Tate. Specifically, listen to episode 39 to hear her interview with me. And both of those links can be found in the show notes by swiping up on your phone or visiting our website, insporising.com. And if you found this interview to be helpful or inspiring in any way, be sure to share it with a friend. Just take a screenshot on your phone and text it right to them. Tell them to listen to the Inspiration Rising podcast on the Apple or Google podcast apps. All right, until next time, have a wonderful week.